At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? All right. Raise your hand if you're done. (laughs) We like each other. Wow. I like this. Uh, I just want to say thank you again to Cassie and our children's ministry team. They do an incredible work providing safe and nurturing uh, biblical education, care for our kids. And so I just want to give her one more round of applause for the four years she has invested in our kids. So let me talk about the Lions for a second. Barry Sanders. Yes, really good. Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron. He's pretty good, right? One of the greatest receivers ever. Recently, they received the award for making the Hall of Fame. The last so many years, they got those wonderful jackets and statues, and now they are honored as some of the greatest football players ever to play. They did amazing work for the community, amazing work for the game, for our, for our state. And we know that because at the end of the day, they had that recognition. You think about Michigan, Michigan has produced a lot of actors, actresses, musicians. I wrote down a list of some of them. What about Aretha Franklin, right? R-E-S-B-C-T, right? (laughs) One clap? Okay, I'll take the one clap. Oh. (laughs) What about Eminem, right? You have these people, whether you like them or not, They've been people who've been seen in the industry as successful. You have people like Barry Gordy, Diana Ross, Madonna, and Kid Rock. And again, no matter our preference or what we think, they have won Grammys and Oscars and these awards for their specific occupation and the abilities they have. And so when I was looking through the text this week and studying, I was actually, one, I kind of chuckled because I'm like, man, I don't think in my 15 years of preaching that I've ever preached directly on this topic. And then the other thought I had was, man, I love that we're a part of a church that teaches through the word expositorily. I love that we, we don't discriminate. We teach the word, and we've been going through 1 Timothy. This is the eighth week, and because of that, we get to talk about all things without favoritism, partiality. We just go through the word, and so when talking about these musicians, these athletes, and the honor and recognition they have, it begs the question today, how do we honor our pastors How do we appreciate our pastors in a world where we know and understand that God has set up certain things within the church? What does it look like for us to care for our pastors? 
You know, when I think about this text, Paul, he's been talking to, to Timothy. And if you remember, this letter, some letters are written to the church. This letter is actually written directly to Timothy, who is ministering to the church of Ephesus. So Paul is writing to this young pastor who's been investing in this church, and he's been sharing all these different things for how to set up uh, the church leaders and how to care for widows and what are some of the qualifications. And he's set all this up, but he's speaking to Timothy because Timothy is young, is youthful, and he needs guidance. He needs help for what it looks like to be a pastor. And so Timothy, he actually became uh, a friend, uh, a mentee of Paul in Acts chapter 16. We see in Acts chapter 16 that Paul, he meets this young man by the name of Timothy. It's in the city of Lystra, and when he meets him, he is so exhilarated by the man of God that he is. Here's this guy, he's raised by a Jewish Christian mom. And his father is Greek, and he is well-respected in the community. He is known as a man of God. So much so that Paul actually says, hey, come with me. And he takes him on his second missionary journey as he goes to establish churches and reach the lost. And here Timothy lands in Ephesus, and he's doing the work of developing the leaders in this community and what it looks like for appropriate worship and qualifications and all the above. And so I love this because he's sharing these relations, you know, older men, how do you handle younger men and older women, younger women, and how to respect one another. And it all brings us to this main idea. The big idea today is that godly pastors are a gift to the church. Godly pastors are a gift to the church, and he spends these eight verses sharing about how do we as a church interact with our pastors. We talk often about how to be a a church family, to be a community. How do we as a church interact and have a family dynamic and a family care towards our pastors. And we see here three responses that the church family is to have towards their pastors. Three, three examples that we see. The first one, as we see in verse 17 through 18, it says that we are supposed to support our pastors financially. So that's always a fun one, right? Uh, thank you. Okay, I'm going to take an offering now. But the thing is, we see in verse 17 through 18 what he's saying to this young pastor by the name of Timothy. So let's jump into chapter 5 and see what it says. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So again, let's talk about last week, and let's think about the entirety of chapter 5. If you remember last week, we talked about how the church is supposed to care for widows. Widows indeed. And if you look at your Bibles, you'll notice something. 
that there's not a break in section. There's not a, okay, now we're talking about caring for, for widows and widows indeed. Now let's talk about caring for pastors. No, it's a continuation of the thought of how the church is supposed to care for one another. And so in that part, it was talking about caring for the widows indeed and how to treat one another, how to love family well, how to help those in need. And so when we look at this and we see that there's not a section break listed, it's important for us to understand this is just another piece for how the church is supposed to be the church. We love each other well, we encourage one another, we help those who are hurting, who are weak, who are marginalized. Oh yeah, and there's this other part, the pastors. So how do we love the entirety of our church family, including those who God has set aside to lead you? And so in verse 1 of that chapter, it spoke of the older man. And this, this older man, and, and so when we think about that, and we hear the word elders... We're not talking about someone who's just an older man. There's a position and an office in the church of elder. And so you hear terms like, uh, he's an elder, he's a pastor, he's a shepherd, he's an overseer. All these words are interchangeable. And they're all synonymous. So we had Vince just up here five minutes ago, Sharon. He's an elder, he's a pastor, he's a shepherd, he's an overseer. You have myself up here bringing the word, pastor, elder, shepherd, overseer. We have Bill. Uh, Bill is one of our pastor, elder, uh, overseer, shepherds. And so this is completely interchangeable. And God has empowered these elders to be stewards of the church. The word for elder is presbyteri. It's plural for eldership. And so a lot of Paul's ministry, a lot of his focus is on the presbyteri. Because if you read into the text, you'll realize that a lot of these leaders, these elders, were struggling. Were falling into sin. And often when he went to different churches, there was a lot of unhealthy behavior among the eldership. And so him and Barnabas and Timothy, they spent great effort in appointing elders in the early church. Then we see also that Timothy, as he's receiving this letter from Paul, he is responsible for this church community. So Paul's saying, hey, this is what you're responsible to do. This is what I want you to, to feel encouraged to do. Hey, don't worry. Don't think you're too young. You've been empowered by Christ to lead this church, to guide this church. And so you see with pastors, there's a lot of different things that a pastor should do, but it's pastoral care. It's protecting sound doctrine. It's going after the lost sheep going and chasing the person that's went away. I've said it before, shepherds smell like sheep because they're among the sheep. They're with the sheep. They're going after the sheep. And some people, uh, they, they see the eldership and the leaders, and, and sometimes based on prior experience, they think of just an administrative group of leaders. 
You know, they're just business eldership, they're business leaders, but when you see the word, it, it, it's not just that's the business group and then there's the preaching. These are all interchangeable. And so the task of a pastor, as we see, is of a high standard, and because of that, we see in 1 Timothy 5, or 17 through 18, that it's worthy of double honor. Okay, so what does that mean, double honor, right? Does that mean double the pay? <laughs> Am I going to raise this here? Does that mean uh, for previous people mentioned, elders, deacons, deaconesses, widows, that we're going to up what we're going to provide for them? Is it double for the community? And so when digging into this, what does double honor mean? In its simplest and clearest form, it literally means twice as much. In this case, the elders are to receive double honor in acknowledgement of their faithfulness. Double honor in the sense because they are encouraged because of the hard work and ministry of being a leader in the church. Paul illustrates this point in reference to Deuteronomy 25.4 when he says the oxen who are working the threshing floor were allowed to eat from any field in which they were working. The same thing in 1 Corinthians 9.9. 9, he made it a point that the worker should be allowed material support from the community. And so when I was thinking about this, I was actually thinking about my foster daughter, and, and she used to work at Five Guys. You guys know Five Guys? Delicious, painful, greasy burgers, but amazing. She worked at Five Guys, and when she worked a full shift, which was considered a four-hour shift, she was allowed to have a burger, a drink, and a fry. And so whether she would eat or drink the burger and fry and, and, and or not, hopefully not drink a burger, but the thing is, whether she would eat the burger and fry or take her drink, that is one thing that the owner allowed them to do. And so she would either have it or she would bring it home. And, and so I would be like, please don't eat today. You know, let me have that burger. But she would do that at no charge. And on the other side of it, she wasn't allowed to take whatever she wanted. She wasn't allowed to just take a bunch of chips and go home or make a couple of those patties and go home and get a bunch of cups of drinks and put it in the fridge. No, that would be abusing the benefit, benefits provided to her. The owners did not have to do that, just as we don't have to remove the muzzle from the ox when they are working the threshing floor. And so I think about this, and I think about, okay, I'm a pastor here, never preached on this, but it's something that us as a church, I feel value, and I see value in us understanding, and it's that uh, a pastor is something that God has set apart. And we see in James 3.1 that even with double honor comes, uh, incurs a stricter judgment because of the position you have. But we as a church need to understand that the work of ministry is something that is held to a bar that, that we as a church need to be aware of. And, and it's something that regardless of our history, regardless of 
maybe if we've been in ministry before, we've witnessed someone in ministry, it is something that is at times very difficult. And so I wanted to take a moment and just encourage you. Because as we're supposed to honor our, our pastors, I, I feel honored, I feel encouraged, you know, to move a family down from the south to colder weather. Uh, it takes some work to, to plant and place roots in a new community. It's difficult. I know some of us, we've been here our whole life. Some of us, we've moved in here for work. Or some of us, we've been a part of this church community or one of the other Woodside campuses. But it, it, it's hard. And so in that time, I've felt so encouraged and grateful that I'm a part of a church family that, that takes care of us uh, financially, that honors us and cares for us. I, I joke about it. I've been talking with Vince uh, Elder Vince, Pastor Vince, about this. My first ministry position, <laughs> I was a pastor, and then I worked as well as a pizza delivery driver. And uh, the, the pizza place went out of business, so what does that say about me? But uh, I, I worked and delivered pizzas, then that place went under, and I worked at a call center while being a pastor, and then I cleaned a preschool at midnight twice a week. And it was something that that was just a normal thing for three years. And so to be at a church that, that I could provide for my family is, is such an honor and a blessing. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy and, and giving him specific instructions how the church family should res respond to pastors, the next thing we see is the church family is called to respect their pastors. Let's look at the, the next piece of scripture up here and what it looks like in verse 19 and 20 to respect your pastors. This is what it says. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless, it's, unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. So we start talking about the good elder pastor, and to honor them and take care of them. And now we shift towards respecting our pastors, but understanding that there are some pastors who, who maybe do some things that are sinful, that are not right. And so as Paul is speaking to Timothy, he gives him instructions for what do you do in those situations, you have an accusation against a pastor. What do you do? If someone comes forward and he says, hey, I'm not saying that the accusation is wrong. But what I'm saying is to stick to these principles that an elder, if something is brought up, reprove them. But there's got to be more than one witness. There's got to be a couple witnesses. This goes all, about, all the way back to Moses and his stipulations in the law about how we're supposed to bring a matter to the forefront and prove that is correct. It is an early church procedure of discipline. And so in this case, you say, okay, he says, don't take this accusation unless there's two or three witnesses. And it makes you think, okay, what's going on? Why, why is Paul saying this to Timothy? Why is he telling him in the church of Ephesus these specific instructions. 
It's because there was favoritism happening. Actually, we see, and as you study and dig in, there was actually a rift of favoritism. Remember, there wasn't a break in chapter 5. You know, the widows, caring for the widows indeed, and pastors, and reprove those who are not standing to the standard that God has given them. There was favoritism happening to widows, and some were not being cared for. And so what happened is these leaders, they were showing partiality to some widows, and they were caring for them, loving them, financially providing for them, and then they were not doing it to some. And because of that, we see here that he said, hey, that, that's not right. When, when you're a leader and you're in a place of authority, you need to tread very lightly with that power you possess. Because you're going to have friends, you're going to have people that you just connect with, and, and it would be easy for you to show partiality. And so he's speaking to Timothy and, and saying, hey, be careful Take warning. If you look at the last two words of chapter 5, verse 20, he says these two words, take warning. And that's a very weighty phrase. Take warning translates from the Greek phrase, phoben echosen, which means have fear. So when he says phoben echosen, he's speaking that this is a warning to leaders to not show that favoritism that we may see or we may have experienced. And maybe some of us in our church experience, we've witnessed this. Maybe some of you in the past, you've witnessed that here before, where there has been a different level of favoritism because of a connection with a pastor or an elder. And so he's speaking into Timothy directly. He said, hey, take warning. Have fear. Search your heart. Because this is something that could lead to a very unhealthy church community. Which leads into the last part, which is so vital, is that we need to pick our pastors wisely. Because there's people in positions in churches that have no business being in those positions. And by your head nods, I, I can tell that some of us have really experienced that. And they might have the title of pastor or elder, but there's no reason they should be in that position because they use it to abuse it. And so we see here in this third part of a church and how the church response to their pastors is we need to select our pastors wisely. Look at verse 21 through verse 25. This is what it says. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. Do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty. Do not be quick of laying on of hands. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. 
the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. So we see here in this last part, he he shifts into the, I charge you. It's a very bold statement. One that only appears twice in Paul's letters. I charge you. And he says, for a pastor to lead well, it is vital, it is imperative to battle against favoritism. Otherwise, decisions are not going to be made in a healthy manner. That's why he says, hey, don't be too quick to lay on of hands, to lay hands on other people and, and elevate them. You know, in our church, in order for someone to be an elder, they have to spend an entire year with myself. Entire year. Not just, hey, let's go get coffee and spend time together. We're going to spend a year together. We're going to be digging in the Word. We're going to be studying different types of theology and doctrine. We are going to have intentional time together because we want to be wise in who we elevate. We don't just want to be a part of a church that elevates someone because maybe their name in the community, maybe what they can financially uh, offer the church, uh, maybe because of the friendship we have, because those are things sometimes we hear and, and sometimes things that we experience. And so when he says to Timothy, keep yourself pure, now he shifts from church and how to lead the church and protect the church to now focusing on the heart of Timothy. Timothy, you're young. In some ways, inexperienced. And you're going to have this mode in the flesh to elevate certain people before they deserve and need to be elevated. Keep your motives pure. Stay pure in your heart. I think about this and the temptation. The temptation to, to want to do things in the flesh instead of spirit. And so you can see how Paul, as he shifts from leadership health to narrowing it to specific health, what he's sharing into the life of Timothy, even his physical ailments. Even his stomach issues. Hey, add a little wine. This doesn't give us opportunity just to go crazy drinking, right? It was medicinal in so many ways to help alleviate some of the bowel issues that he was facing. He knew Timothy. And he wanted to speak directly to where he was. And he knew the stress. He knew the temptations. He knew how hard it was to deal with, with taking care of the financial needs, the physical needs of widows. He knew the turnover in leadership. He knew the infighting. He knew the stress of ministry would wreak havoc on his body and on his health. And I would love to say that 2,000 years ago, that has changed 
But the reality is it's more true now today than ever. I'm on this campus pastor uh, texting, uh, group text, and I got an article from Rick Seidel. He's uh, over at uh, the Pontiac Woodside campus today. He sent this article, the most recent statistics on pastor health. I want to read some of these to you. 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 90% work between 55 to 75 hours a week. 90% feel fatigued and worn out every week. 80% will leave ministry within 10 years. I was thinking about this, and I graduated with about 50 pastors. And I was thinking, I'm like, who's left? Who's left? Just three. Three out of 50 are remaining. And one of them I've been talking to recently, this last week, and he is hanging on by a thread. 70% of pastors say they have a lower self-esteem now than they did before they entered ministry. 70% say they constantly fight depression. 80% believe their pastoral ministry has negative, negatively affected their family and their marriage. And 80% of ministry spouses feel that same weight. And so as a church family, as we care for each other and widows and our pastors, we need to remember that we as leaders... We need that same love. <laughs> we need that same care, that same prayer, that same unity and accountability and, and patience. And so I, now I want to get very real with you. <laughs> I'm a human. <laughs> I didn't lower down from the heavens one day and say, go to Chesterfield and be my servant with my Thor-like body. Right? <laughs> From your laughs, I know that you see the inaccuracy of that statement. I will fail you. Let you down. Say something you don't like. If there's one thing I've learned in 15 years of ministry, it's we'll never get the sound right. <laughs> It'll always be too loud or too quiet. <laughs> I won't be bold enough and I won't be soft enough. The temperature's too hot and it's too cold. If there's one thing I know, it's how human I am. And so be patient with me as I am with you. Understanding that I have my own stuff. I got kids I wrestle with, try to raise. I got bills I got to pay. I got my own natural defaults that I go back to because I'm a human. And, and there'll be people who I will never, ever live to their standard. And there'll be people that I'll shoot a text to and you think I hung the moon. It's part of the gig. But I'm trying to follow the good shepherd. All this comes back to him. 
and I'm trying to imitate him as an under-shepherd for this community so we can follow him and glorify him who gave his life for us. And so I want to end with his word from John. It says this in John 10 about the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. You know, as an under-shepherd, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> but I have my own liabilities. I have my own issues. I tend to overwork, overstress, and have sins just like everyone else. Yes, it's a high calling, and the high standards don't change. They stay there. And we want to hold our, our pastors accountable so we can follow their example as they follow Christ. So as a church, for our staff, for our elders, deacons, pastors, understand we need love too. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the position of, of pastor that you have set aside. It's a high calling. And, and I believe it's a high calling for a reason. I pray that we are a church where when people come on staff, on our leadership team, they feel loved, they feel supported. Father, because we're just trying to impact this generation. But Father, the ultimate shepherd is Jesus. Let us look to him, the good shepherd. We're fallible, we are fallen, but Jesus, you are perfect. Thank you so much that we can be a church that loves each other, loves widow, loves pastors, love each other well. We show you gratitude for your word and for this morning. We pray this all in your name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.